morning, everyone. It's so good to see your faces this morning. So glad to have you with us. Um, it's a blessing to be able to worship together. So welcome, family, old and new. Uh, for friends watching online or visiting with us, we're so glad you're with us as well. Uh, the psalmist says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. And it's truly a blessing to be able to take our songs and our prayers, our, our hearts and our spirit, and everything that we are, and offer it up to the Lord as our act of worship. It's a blessing to be not only family together, but family with God. Um, this season, we're talking about walking with God and journeying through Lent. And in this Lenten season, we're reminded of, of the tension that we have to live with. A lot of times when we think about tension, we look at it as, you know, butting heads. You know, or we look at it as being pulled in two different directions. But this Lenten season, we're challenging ourselves to, to not butt heads with these different thoughts or ideologies, to, to not let it pull us in two different ways, but to actually just hold them both in our hands. And the tension comes from trying to hold both of these thoughts or ideas and as we walk with God together. For example, in Lent, we hold on to God, but we also hold on to each other. In Lent, we remember Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, but we also remember that Jesus marching towards Calvary and remember that, that not only Good Friday, but Resurrection Sunday, and the fact that Jesus is risen again, which was celebrated in three weeks. So we hold those two together. In the wilderness, we're reminded to intentionally pray and lean into God. We're reminded to intentionally walk with God and in an act of self-restraint and repentance and reconciliation. But on our march to Calvary, as we look at Jesus' march to Calvary, we're reminded that God calls us to march on as well. That God calls us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. That God calls us to live by and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to talk about repentance. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah 15. Uh, if you're following online, turn with me to Jeremiah 15. Uh, if you're in person, we'll also have it up on the screen. And I'll be reading verses 15 to 21. And as we think about repentance, may we be reminded in Jeremiah's story that there's a man from God, a prophet of God, who we find lonely, who we find ostracized, who we find anxious, who we find broken, who we find doubting. Yet God hears all of that. God holds all of that. And God says, yes, Jeremiah, repent and turn back to you. In Jeremiah 15, starting in verse 15, we read, Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me, and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound so grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the fool. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we repent and turn to you. Holy Spirit, help us now to return back to God. 
God, our Father, we thank you that you can hold our doubts, that you can hold our fears, that you can hold our anxieties, that you can hold our anger, that you can hold our frustrations. And even in these things, Lord, when we're so low that we're looking down, we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that you remind us to pick our eyes up, to look to you, to repent and return home to you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now for those of us who grew up in church, repent is a word we hear all the time. It's a word we grew up hearing. It's a word we become very, very familiar with. How we understand repentance, if you look in the dictionary, you'll find pretty much a common definition will say to feel or express regret over sin. Biblically, we understand sin as breaking God's law or, or falling short, missing the mark. We understand that this sin, because we break God's law and because we fall short, it leads to the separation. The separation sometimes shows up in Scripture as death because it talks about broken shalom. The idea that when we sin, we break the harmony between us and God. We break the harmony between us and each other. We break the harmony even with our world. We break the harmony even within ourselves. On Thursday night, we're reading this book in our small group called What is the Bible and How Do We Understand It? Dr. Dennis Edwards sums it all up by reminding us sin is not only the evil thoughts and deeds that individuals commit, sin is the pervasive power that damages and corrupts God's creation. Sin is not just what we do or the, the individual things that we do, but it's this disruption, this breaking of harmony and shalom with God and us with us and each other, with us in creation, and yet even within ourselves. So we grew up in church care by repentance. We know that's the problem of sin. But we're pointed to, to the fact that, yes, we've all sinned and fell short of God's glory. We've all broken God's law. We've all missed the mark. We've all broken shalom with God. But we're also reminded that the true gift of God is Jesus Christ. So we earn separation. Though we've earned this brokenness, Jesus is the true gift of God. And in Romans, Paul says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, in the essence of who we are, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Confession. We're reminded in repentance is really just trusting God to set us free. And if you've never made that first decision, this morning I'd like to invite you to simply know that yes, you've broken God's law, yes, you fell short, yes, you've missed the mark, but the gift of Jesus is available to you today if you will repent. The scripture tells us, beloved, now is the day of salvation. And if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus is raised from the dead, that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus is raised and lives for you, and that Jesus is the one that comes back for you. You shall be saved. Repenting is just not just expressing regret over sin, but it's confessing and trusting God to set us free. But there's two other aspects of repentance that some of us, maybe we don't grow up caring a lot about. And the first one is that repent. It's really the message of Jesus. If you go back to the New Testament, you know that before Jesus came and started his ministry, there was a prophet, his cousin, 
John the Baptist, whose job was to what? Prepare the way of the Lord, to clear the road, to make the path straight, to be the light that points us to the light that is Jesus. And remember the message of John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, we read this. John the Baptist says, in the scripture says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then after John gets in a little bit of trouble, a lot bit of trouble, for being faithful to God, for standing up to the powers that be, for being faithful to the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he's unduly arrested. He's unjustly executed. Jesus grieves the loss of the prophet, the loss of his cousin, the loss of one of his best friends. But then what does Jesus do in Matthew 4? After he comes out of the wilderness, after he, he, he grieves John, in Matthew 4 we learn, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent is one of the core messages of Jesus. And it's founded on this Old Testament idea of truth. Truth is the idea of turning back and returning to God. Now, if you've been here a while, you've heard me explain it this way. You know, we're in Harrisburg. If our desire is to go to Pittsburgh and we get on the road and we, after a couple of hours, it says, Welcome to Philadelphia. Repent is recognizing, Oh, I've gone the wrong way. It's recognizing I gotta turn the car around and get back on the road and go the right way and take the steps towards Pittsburgh. But what I missed in all that, and what God reminds Jeremiah and Beth reminds us, is that yes, you gotta stop going the wrong way. Yes, you gotta turn the car around. Yes, you gotta get on the road towards Pittsburgh. But before you get to Pittsburgh, you gotta go through Harrisburg. And why is that significant? It's significant because repenting isn't just turning around and going the right way. It's coming back home. It's coming back home to God. Because when you come to Harrisburg, you can refuel the car. You can regenerate your spirit. And then you can go out to where God desires you to be. Repenting is turning the car around, going the right way, coming home to be blessed and refreshed, and then going on your way to Pittsburgh. If you're from Pittsburgh, you're blessed. So just in that example. And I find it interesting, though, that Jeremiah calls and leads the country. And this is why Jeremiah's entire mission, his entire call, is to Judah. Who was Judah? The nation of Israel was one. A collection of tribes come together, united under the banner of God. Because of generation upon generation of sin. Because of time and time again turning away from God. God promised them in the covenant, Do this and be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. Turn away from me. Keep sinning, following other gods, following the ways of this world. And you will break the covenant. You will lose your inheritance. You will lose your land. And that's what happened to Israel. The two kingdoms emerged, and Israel, the northern tribes, go, and Judah holds one. And God calls Jeremiah to go to Judah and says, Look what happened to those ten tribes. I need you to hold on. I need you to repent. I need you to come home to me. That was his entire mission was Judah. And what was the message in Judah from Jeremiah? Judah, repent. 
Judah to invite to Gentiles. So in the middle of this um, point, the last service has brought upon me that some things never changed. So the point I was originally going to make is that in ancient times, I have to understand that the mail service wasn't as um, reliable as it is today, apparently. You know, in ancient times, what you would do is if you had a letter, you would find someone and be like, oh, where are you going, you know? And the person would be like, yeah, I'm going to Georgia. And you'd be like, oh, Virginia's on the way. Can you take this letter and, and maybe get it to Georgia? And maybe a week or a month later, you find out your letter's in Montana. And you're like, what's going on here? But eventually, the letter might get there. And the reason I say something's going to change is some of us who order stuff online, you do yourself more of the service trying to follow it, you know? You order something from Pittsburgh, and you're like, how did you get to Montana, right? So maybe something's never changed. But because of the unreliability of letters being delivered, messengers had a very important role. Because here's the thing. In an ancient culture that wasn't very, uh, that didn't read, you not only had to hear the message, you have to be able to, to remember the message, imbibe the message, to literally love the message, so that when you get there, you can deliver the message. And that's a really good way of understanding the prophets of God. A lot of times we think it's just like God downloaded the information, I came in a dream, and then they went out. No, they had to walk with God. They had to hear the message, live the message, know the message, so that when they came before the people, they can deliver the message. They can actually not just be the messenger, really a spokesman for the message given. And that's what Jeremiah was. And here's the thing. As he's going and living this mission, as he's delivering this message, there's different markers along the way. Now, ever since I was a kid, even to this day when I drive, I follow the markers every place of the mile, right? It's just like this countdown that goes and goes and goes. So what were the markers for Jeremiah as he's on this mission delivering this message? It was threats to his life. It was loneliness. It was anxiety. It was fear. It was depression. It was doom. It was him imbibing this message and living to preach this message and people literally taking that away from him and saying, you can't preach anymore. In fact, there's some who believe the reason we have the book of Jeremiah is because he wasn't allowed to preach anymore because no one liked his message. So he said, you know what? God gave the message to me this year. I will give the message to Baruch. Baruch, you write this down. You remember all of this, so that if they kill me, you can count it on. Jeremiah's markers we see in our passage. And I think what I love the most about this passage is we are too quick to forget that these people in the Bible are so human. They're so much like us. Jeremiah here is called a weeping prophet because he's repenting over Judah. But in Jeremiah 15, we need a man who's weak. We need a man who's struggling. We need a man who's lonely, who feels forsaken, who feels like everybody is doing wrong and thriving. And I'm trying to do right and dying. We see a man who's depressed and feels so far away from God. In a weird way, that gives me hope. Because it reminds me that when I struggle, when I'm lonely, when I feel forsaken, when I feel alone, when I feel frustrated and angry, when I don't, God controls it all. There's no question I have 
that God literally has administered to generations upon generations upon generations. There's no fear I have that God has become a soul for generations upon generations upon generations. Jeremiah's weakness reminds us that our God is not only whole, that our God is not only good, but our God is whole. If you go in this passage, it begins with a plea from Jeremiah. Lord, remember me. Remember I'm suffering. Lord, I suffer for you. Lord, avenge me. Avenge me because I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to do right. And all the people who aren't are thriving. Lord, I'm lonely. I'm an outsider. I don't even get invited to the parties. No one likes me. Lord, you, I told the people, are like springs of living water. But Lord, are you really just a deceitful brook? This is an interesting point. Because when Jeremiah goes to the people, sorry, I'm going to take some water. When Jeremiah goes to the people, part of his message of repenting is that God is the God of living water. God is the God of springs of water, waters of life. Yet he slows down. That happens, I think, in Jeremiah 2. By the time he gets to 15, Jeremiah slows the past. And he basically says, God, you're supposed to be the God of living waters. Have you lied to me? Are you like an empty well? God said they had these things called wadis. And the wadis in rainy season were always filled and bubbling with life. Yet in the dry season, the word is empty growth. And that's what Jeremiah feels. He feels like God's supposed to be loving water, but all he sees and feels is an empty growth. What I love is that God's plea to Jeremiah is simply repent and return to me. God knows he's lonely, he's an outsider, he's depressed. He, 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 he's frustrated, he's angry. And God's answer is what? Repent and return to me. And God makes a promise at the end that Jeremiah, I will save you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will help you escape this, all of this. And what's interesting about God making this promise is that it's very conditional. Just like the covenant with God, God says to Jeremiah, if you repent, I will restore you. To you, they serve me. If you follow me and utter worthy words, not worthless ones, worthy words, you can then again be my spokesman. Jeremiah, if you turn to me, and don't worry about the people around you, the people will turn to you because you turn to me. It's a confident promise that if you live and turn your eyes back on me, if you put your faith in me, I will assure you. And the promise is God says, I know you're weak, but I will make you strong. I know it feels overwhelming, but they will not overwhelm you. Why? Because I am not with you. And remember what we learned about Yahweh. That it's not just the name of God. Yahweh is a promise. And the promise is simply this. I am. I'm the God who was. I'm the God who is. I'm the God who will be. 
I know you're Jeremiah right now, but I need you to remember that I have loved you. That's why I called you Jeremiah. I need you to take your eyes off of yourself, look up to me, and realize that I love you right now. You are my son and prophet. And I need you to remember that I will always save you. I will always deliver you. You know, as we're going through this season, I think Taylor Taylor just say, what are some of the lessons we must learn? And I think the lesson is simply this. We all must repent. For the kingdom is near today. We first must repent and accept God's salvation. We must make that first decision to turn to God. Why? For God so loves the world. For God so loves you. For God so loves us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And in believing in Jesus, in turning away from sin, in confessing and asking God to set you free, your confidence becomes your invitation to the Lord. If sin breaks harmony between you and God, if sin breaks harmony between you and each other, you and the world, you and yourself, repenting, turning back to God, confessing, asking for forgiveness, turning the car around, going back home, going on your way, all of that becomes an invitation to the Lord. And after we've made that decision to follow Jesus, we also so much repent daily. Why? Because when we repent, we trust God to set us free. Jesus' best friend would turn on the John puts it like this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're going to Philly, we're going to be in Pittsburgh, turn the car around. And before you get to Pittsburgh, you've got to come home. And repentance is that invitation to come home. So every time you break God's law, you fall short, you miss the mark, repent and come home. We must also repent, though, and these two ones have really struck a chord in my soul this week. We must repent, for God's promises are always going to be greater than our doubts. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no question you have that's bigger than the God you know. There is no doubt you have that God's going to hear and be like, ooh, never heard this one before. You really stuck me today. There's no fear that God hasn't relieved. There's no suffering that God hasn't healed. There's no anxiety that God hasn't brought millions of people through for thousands of years. And I love that God's promise to Jeremiah doesn't even anything new. Jeremiah's like, God, I'm so lonely, I'm so broken, I'm so I'm forsaken, and, and no one likes me, and, and this world is terrible. And God's answer is simply, come Back home. Repent and turn to me. Trust me and I'll set you free. God's promises will always be greater than our doubts. Our questions, our failings will never be greater than our God. If we are weak, God is strong. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians tells it like this Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Repent, for you are weak. Repent, for God is Give them your anger. Give them your frustration. Give them your loneliness. Give them your struggles. Give them your anxiety. God's grace is always sufficient for you. God's grace is always available for you. We may be weak, but praise God, our God is strong. You know, I haven't seen some of you in a long time, but maybe you've forgotten, so I have to remind you, The Lion King is the greatest movie, not only that Disney has ever made, but the greatest movie Disney will ever make. And one of the reasons this movie is so great is because of that one scene where Simba is out there trying to find himself, and then he goes before the ring and he has this conversation with his father. And if you're a great, you know, movie aficionado and, and, and really genius like I am, you'll remember this scene very clearly. And in this scene, the prophet tells something to Simba that I think God has been trying to talk about for thousands of years. If you remember that scene, what did he say? He says, remember who you are. Repentance is our choice to not only remember who we are, children of the King, children of the God of the universe, people that Jesus loved, people that Jesus not only died for, but lived for them. We got to remember not only who we are, we have to remember who we are. Your life, God's message to the world. The things you go through and experience once God heals you, God wants to use that to take a message to the world. And I love that Jeremiah's message is repent. So your life is God's message to the world. But here's the thing about your message. Your message is also God's message to you. Jeremiah really believes that his job is to go to the world and tell them to repent. And God says, I'm glad that you learned that. I'm glad that you're teaching the people. Now I need to teach you it again. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And when you repent, you come back home and remember that God still loves you. That God is still there. That God is still carrying you. That God will never leave you nor forsake you. That God is still working for your good. That this message that your life is God is not only using you to teach that message to the world, but God will use that same message to keep calling you back home. Repent, repent, repent. I'm going to end by asking you to do something for me this week. Three things. I want you to repent, yes. And I want you to read, and I want you to return. The first thing I want you to read is every day this week, you're going to carve out time and just read Psalm 51. In this Psalm, you'll see David. Help him. You'll see David knowing he's fallen short. You'll see David knowing that he's sinned and broken God's law and missed the mark and he's broken harmony. And you'll also see that David remembers that God forgives. So not only do you need to read this psalm this week, but remember and keep reminding yourself that God forgives. And once you read and you remember, then I want you to repent. Where have you fallen short that day, that week, and the last few months? Where have you missed the mark? 
where is God calling you back home again? Repent and ask for forgiveness. Because the thing you also learn in Psalm 51 is David may not know where Pittsburgh is, but he gets it. And the reason he gets there is because he stops going the wrong direction. And in the time we see him turning around, we will see him returning back to God. And once he gets home and returns to God, God fills him up. God fills him up with God's strength and help. Believe, remember, repent. Amen?